Welcome to the Agiostos. My name is Bill Dykstra. I hope you are doing well. I think the reality of things lately hasn't uh, really sunk in for me yet. As I'm sure we've mentioned before here in Saskatchewan, all of our services are currently cancelled. It looks like uh, this will be the case for Pascha. This is really unfortunate because personally, I think we Greeks have the best Easter traditions ever. My favorite part of Pascha every year is the veneration of the shroud, the uh, Pleshenitsa. It's an image of the burial of Jesus that is placed out on Great and Holy Friday for the faithful to come to kiss and to pray with. Throughout the whole night, there is a vigil. Even in the quiet hours of the early morning, there is someone there in the church praying with the image of our Lord entombed. It was this practice, the practice of the Plechenitsa, that first inspired me to become Ukrainian Greek Catholic. Everyone, young and old, rich and poor alike, they approached the icon crawling on their knees, crossing themselves, and bowing three times. We then kiss each of the wounds Jesus receives from the cross. Then we turn back away, still on our knees, crossing ourselves and bowing as we move. It's truly a sight to be seen, and for me, it will be a shocking reality that I don't see it this year. It might not be enough time, but I think I'm going to try to find a way to set this up in my own home. Maybe I'll share what I find on our Instagram page. And if you know of any resources, please feel free to share it with us. At any rate, this Sunday is the Sunday of St. Mary of Egypt. And I have been thinking a lot about her this year in relation to our own situation. And I have something to share. We will do a short summary of her story along with an an excerpt from it. One of the main sources we have for the life of St. Mary of Egypt comes from the writings of St. Sophronius of Jerusalem. In his narrative, he doesn't begin, though, by telling Mary's story, but of a Palestinian monk named Zosimus. Sophronius relates that Zosimus was raised raised in the tradition of the Desert Fathers, of this extreme monastic uh, asceticism. He became so holy that um, his own sanctity gave him cause for concern. For if he was the holiest of monks, he would have no one to be his mentor. He brought his anxieties to prayer, and an angel of God appeared before him. The angel said to Zosimus, Zosimus, valiantly you have struggled as far as this is within the power of man. Valiantly have you gone through the ascetic course. But there is no man who has attained perfection. Before you lie unknown struggles greater than those you have already accomplished. That you may know how many others, how many other ways lead to salvation, leave your native land like the renowned patriarch Abraham and go to the monastery by the river Jordan. Zosimus heeded the angel's words. Upon arrival, the monks at the monastery by the River Jordan, accepted Zosimus into the ranks. He was amazed at their commitment to prayer, worshipping the Lord with constant fervor. A Lenten practice of the community was to vacate the monastery, cross the River Jordan, and spend forty days in the desert in the same fashion of Christ himself. 
they they were to return, having faced their demons in the desert, without not so much of a word of their time. So after forgiveness Sunday, Zosimus and the monks of the desert left for the wilderness. It was his hope that on this journey he would find a spiritual father, a mentor in the faith. He walked for twenty days, and then one day saw an image in the distance. He noticed it was a person and ran towards them, shouting to get their attention. The figure ran and hid. He asked why someone would run and hide from an elderly old man. The figure responded, Forgive me, for God's sake, but I cannot turn towards you and show you my face, Abazosimus, for I am a woman and naked, as you see, with the uncovered shame of my body. But if you would like to fulfill one wish for a shameful woman, throw me your cloak so I can cover my body and turn to you and ask for a blessing. The initial reaction Zosimus had was fear, for she knew his name somehow mystically. However, he reasoned within himself that she could only know details about him in a wholly mystical way. He therefore complied and gave the naked woman his cloak. The old woman asked him why he desired to see an awful, sinful woman such as herself. Zosimus flung himself on the ground and laid prostrate before her. She did the same. Sophronius, the author of this story, highlights that both parties could be heard repeating to each other, Bless me. Obviously, both of these people somehow sensed the holiness in the other. The old woman eventually pointed out that Zosimus, being ordained a priest, rightly was the one who was meant to bless the other. Zosimus, gripped in holy terror, cited that she possessed secret knowledge and spiritual gifts he did not, and she was to bless him. She capitulated, and both of them stood up. Further, Zosimus asked her to pray for him, that his time in the desert would not be spent in vain, but help him advance towards God. Being a priest, she was obedient to him. She turned east and began to pray quietly. Zosimus had cast his eyes to the ground, but looked up for a moment. There the old woman was praying in midair. Again, Zosimus was terrified, believing he was communing with an evil spirit. Yet Mary turned around and assured him that she was only a sinful woman, though protected by baptism. Zosimus asked her to share her story, and she complied. My native land, Holy Father, was Egypt. Already during the lifetime of my parents, when I was 12 years old, I renounced their love and went to Alexandria. I am ashamed to recall there, I at first ruined my maidenhood, and then unrestrainedly and insatiably gave up myself to sensuality. It is more becoming to speak of this briefly, so that you may just know my passion and my lechery. For about 17 years, forgive me, I lived like that. I was like a fire of public debauch. And it was not for the sake of gain. Here I speak pure truth. Often when they wished to pay for me, I refused the money. I acted in this way so as to make as many men as possible to try to obtain me, doing free of charge what gave me pleasure. Do not think that I was rich and that this was the reason why I did not take money. I lived by begging, 
often by spinning flax, but I had an insatiable desire and an irrepressible passion for lying in filth. This was life to me. Every kind of abuse of nature I regarded as life. That is how I lived. Then one summer, I saw a large crowd of Libyans and Egyptians running towards the sea. I asked one of them, where are these men hurrying to? He replied, they are all going to Jerusalem for the exaltation of the precious and life-giving cross, which takes place in a few days. I said to him, will they take me with them if I wish to go? No one will hinder you if you have money to pay for the journey and for food. And I said to him, to tell you truth, I have no money, neither have I food, but I shall go with them and shall go aboard and they shall feed me whether they want to or not. I have a body. They shall take it instead of pay for the journey. I was suddenly filled with a desire to go, Abba, to have more lovers who could satisfy my passion. I told you, Abba Zosimus, not to force me to tell you of my disgrace. God is my witness. I am afraid of defiling you in the very air with my words. Zosimus, weeping, replied to her, Speak on, for God's sake, mother, speak, and do not break the thread of such an edifying tale. And so resuming her story, she went on. That youth, on hearing my shameless words, laughed and went off, while I, throwing away my spinning wheel, ran off towards the sea in the direction everyone seemed to be taking. And seeing some young men standing on the shore, about ten or more of them, full of vigor and alert in their movements, I decided that they would do for my purpose. It seemed that some of them were waiting for more travelers, whilst others had gone ashore. Shamelessly, as usual, I mixed with the crowd, saying, Take me with you to the place you're going. You will not find me superfluous. I also added a few more words, calling forth general laughter. Seeing my readiness to be shameless, they readily took me aboard the boat. Those who were expected came also, and we set sail at once. How shall I relate to you what happened after this? Whose tongue can tell? Whose ears can take in all that took place on the boat during that voyage? And to all this, I frequently forced those miserable youths, even against their own will. There is no mentionable or unmentionable depravity of which I was not their teacher. I am amazed, Abba, how the sea stood our licentiousness, how the earth did not open its jaws, and how it was that hell did not swallow me alive when I had entangled in my net so many souls. But I think God was seeking my repentance, for he does not desire the death of a sinner, but magnanimously awaits his return to him. At last we arrived in Jerusalem. I spent the days before the festival in the town, living the same kind of life, perhaps even worse. I was not content with the youths I had seduced at sea and who had helped me get to Jerusalem. Many others, citizens of the town and foreigners, I also seduced. The holy day of the exaltation of the cross dawned, while I was still flying about hunting for youths. At daybreak, I saw that everyone was hurrying to the church, so I ran with the rest. When the hour for the holy elevation approached, I was trying to make my way in with the crowd, which was struggling to get through the church doors. I at last squeezed through with great difficulty, almost to the entrance of the temple, from which the life-giving tree of the cross was being shown to the people. But when I trod on the doorstep which everyone passed, I was stopped by some force which prevented my entering. 
Meanwhile, I was brushed aside by the crowd and found myself standing alone on the porch. Thinking that this had happened because of my woman's weakness, I again began to work my way into the crowd, trying to elbow myself forward. But in vain, I struggled. Again, my feet trod on the doorstep over which others were entering the church without encountering any obstacle. I alone seemed to remain unaccepted by the church. It was as if there was a detachment of soldiers standing there to oppose my entrance. Once again, I was excluded by the same mighty force, and again I stood on the porch. Having repeated my attempt three or four times, at last I felt exhausted and had no more strength to push and to be pushed, so I went aside and stood in a corner of the porch. And only then, with great difficulty, it began to dawn on me, and I began to understand the reason why I was prevented from being admitted to see the life-giving cross. The word of salvation gently touched the eyes of my heart and revealed to me that it was my unclean life which barred the entrance to me. I began to weep and lament and beat my breast and to sigh from the depths of my heart. And so I stood weeping when I saw above me the icon of the most holy mother of God. And turning to her, my bodily and my spiritual eyes, I said, O Lady, Mother of God, who gave birth in the flesh to God the Word, I know, oh how well I know, that it is no honor or praise to thee when one so impure and depraved as I look upon thy icon. O ever-virgin who didst keep thy body and soul in purity, rightly do I inspire hatred and disgust before thy virginal purity. But I have heard that God, who was born of thee, became man on purpose to call sinners to repentance. Then help me, for I have no other help. Order the entrance of the church to be open to me. Allow me to see the venerable tree on which he who was born of thee suffered in the flesh and on which he shed his holy blood for the redemption of sinners and for me, unworthy as I am. Be my faithful witness before thy son that I will never again defile my body by the impurity of fornication. But as soon as I have seen the tree of the cross, I, I will renounce the world and its temptations, and I will go wherever thou wilt lead me. Thus I spoke, and as if acquiring some hope in firm faith and feeling some confidence in the mercy of the mother of God, I left the place where I stood praying. And I went again and mingled with the crowd that was pushing its way into the temple. And no one seemed to thwart me. Uh, no one hindered my entering the church. I was possessed with trembling and, and was almost in delirium, having got as far as the doors which I could not reach before, as if the same force which had hindered me now cleared the way for me. I entered without difficulty and found myself within the holy place. And so it was. I saw the life-giving cross. I saw, too, the mysteries of God and how the Lord accepts repentance. Throwing myself on the ground, I worshipped that holy earth and kissed it with trembling. Then I came out of the church and went to her who had promised to be my security, to the place where I had sealed my vow. And bending my knees before the Virgin Mother of God, I addressed to her such words as these. O loving lady, thou hast shown me thy great love for all men. Glory to God who receives the repentance of sinners through thee. What more can I recollect or say? I who am so sinful, 
It is time for me, O lady, to fulfill my vow according to thy witness. Now lead me by the hand along the path of repentance. And at these words, I heard a voice from on high say, If you cross the Jordan, you will find glorious rest. Hearing this voice and having faith that it was for me, I cried to the mother of God, O lady, lady, do not forsake me. With these words, I left the porch of the church and set off on my journey. As I was leaving the church, a stranger glanced at me and gave me three coins, saying, Sister, take these. And taking the money, I bought three loaves and took them with me on my journey as a blessed gift. I asked the person who sold the bread, which way is it to the Jordan? And I was directed to the city gate, which led that way. Running on, I passed the gates and still weeping, I went on my journey. Those I met, I asked the way, and after walking for the rest of the day, as I think it was nine o'clock when I saw the cross, at length I reached, at sunset, the Church of St. John the Baptist, which stood on the banks of the Jordan. After praying in the temple, I went down to the Jordan and rinsed my face and hands in its holy waters. I partook of the holy and life-giving mysteries in the Church of the Forerunner and ate half of one of my loaves. Then after drinking some water from the Jordan, I lay down and passed the night on the ground. In the morning, I found a small boat and crossed to the opposite bank. I again prayed to Our Lady to lead me whither she wished. And I found myself in this desert. And since then, up to this very day, I am estranged from all, keeping away from people and running away from everyone. And I live here clinging to my God, who saves all, who turn to him from faint-heartedness and from storms. There is a great deal more about the story of Mary and Zosimus' meeting. We have provided a link to the entire story in the show notes so you can go and read it. I wanted to respect your time and only to share a portion. I also wanted to share a bit of my own reflection for this Sunday, because it is my favorite Sunday of the Great Fast. I believe St. Mary of Egypt is one of the most dynamic saints the Church has ever seen. I don't know about you, but I have certain devotions that only materialize once a year, kind of like an annual visit to a loved one. Another saint who has this cyclical relationship with me is Therese. When I get close to either of these women's feasts, I start thinking and talking to them. Now, I love Mary of Egypt. She is truly a captivating figure. In my reflection of her, I noticed that there was one quality of her that impresses itself on me the most. I decided that I would let this be the topic of our reflection. And it's this. Mary is beautiful. Now, for some of you, this may conjure some resentment. You may discredit it as the subjugating male gaze. You might think, as a woman, she has more value than being an object of beauty, and such a reflection is a degrading exercise. Yet, if this is our reaction, we are essentially admitting that we do not truly understand what beauty is. Another objection might be that Mary of Egypt was a naked, sun-dried, and leathery-skinned old woman. Her integrity had been wasted in her early life. She was a slave to her passions, a whore in the true sense of the word. 
How can such a person who had internally putrefied herself, how can we consider her to be beautiful? And in my response to these objections, I am willing to double down and ready to say that Mary is radiant. And I believe that we can relate this to our present circumstances. We have been relegated to our homes for the most part. And in this time, we are collectively sucking up the most bandwidth that has ever been used. Now, I didn't look that up, but I suppose it it just has to be true. We are strapped to the internet. So, we're in this situation, at home and online. And then Pornhub, from the bottom of their hearts, gives everyone in Italy, one of the virus's epicenters, free accounts. I know this has been commented on a great deal, so I won't spend too much time on this, but I wanted to establish this dynamic. Because through the Pornhub, though the Pornhub situation is insidious, there has been another situation that I think we can juxtapose with Mary that is like it. An event that recently made my blood boil. Gal Gadot. Famously known for her portrayal as Wonder Woman, known to be one of the most shiniest of people in the public eye, and a cohort of her fellow shinies, published a video that goes viral at the peak of our internet consumption. It's of them singing to the quarantined. Imagine there's no heaven. John Lennon's anthem tribute to a future utopia without religion. Imagine. And it's an earworm. It gets stuck in your head. While all of these common people of the world, worried for their health, either reasonably or unreasonably, they're locked up in their homes. These beautiful millionaires, shiny and glistening, attack the very thing that God desires to come about through this crisis. A world that loves God. They're not merely wanting you to sin and stumble like Pornhub. They're going straight to the heart of the issue. And how do they have their social authority? Well, they're famous. They're entertaining. They sound pretty. And they look pretty. These are their credentials. They certainly look the part. And we react to them for good reason. St. Augustine in his confession says, How can we love anything but the beautiful? What then is a beautiful thing, or beauty itself? Can anything compel us that is not beautiful and fitting? Yet their beauty is only to the depth of their own skin. For their song is truly a whore's message. To abandon fidelity and faithfulness in the face of the one who loves you. There is a filio-theological understanding of beauty. It's necessary to understand the term, as explained by the saints, before we can talk about it with competence. Beauty is the clearly observed and rightly proportioned goodness of the divinity. We call things beautiful, says Dionysus the Areopagite, because they participate with the all-beautiful that is God. God's beauty is unconditioned by time, place, or contrast. And God, being the primary cause of all things, endows his beauty in his creation. Those things participating in him 
have his qualities. St. Dionysus says, quote, It is the great creating cause which bestirs the world and holds all things in existence by the longing inside them to have beauty. Close quote. We come from beauty, have beauty, and we desire to return to it. The beauty that is God, he says, is, quote, a model to which they, all things, conform, close quote. Aquinas rightly says, quote, beauty and goodness in a thing are identical fundamentally, for they are based upon the same thing, namely the form, and consequently goodness is praised as beauty, close quote. That which is beautiful cannot be understood isolated from morality and virtue. The beauty of Mary of Egypt rests in the degree to which she participated in beauty itself. She was made beautiful and carried with her a semblance of it throughout her life, though its apparentness was obscured by sin. In the desert she undermined the social mores of the world of sin. Her lies were rewritten with truth. This cannot be done in such a satisfying way through half-measures. To shine God's radiance is to become transparent, not to become annihilated, but to become naked. In the same desert that God walked, therein Mary pursued him. She one day found him in the priesthood of Zosimus. Later in the story, we learn that too, Zosimus had brought her the sacred gifts before her death. Here, we see the 180 of her story. In her past life, she would mount bodies. In her new life, she laid prostrate before one. Previously, her appetites sought to consume men. Now she consumes and partakes of God. The lesson today is this. Repentance returns us to beauty. St. Simeon, the new theologian, says this about repentance. Through repentance, the filth of our fellow actions is washed away. After this, we participate in the Holy Spirit, not automatically, but according to the faith, humility, and inner disposition of the repentance in which our soul is engaged. For this reason, it is good to repent each day, as the act of repentance is unending. Like the prodigal son, when we repent, we resume our life within the home of the Father. We reunite ourselves with the rightly ordered form we were meant to assume. And let's not overlook the points St. Simeon makes. The degree of our reconciliation with God is dependent to the degree of our true contrition. So though we are in our homes, this does not mean we are safe from diabolical influence. We, like Mary, are in the desert. It's one of God's paradoxes, much like the last being. First, when we encounter the desert with our faith in God, we come out of it refreshed. So let us meditate on our sin and weakness and God's mercy, rather than acquiescing to our own dysfunctions. So what do we need to repent from? In the show notes, we have provided a link to an examination of conscience. Be sure to Google where confession is being heard in your area. The other day we had our local monk hearing confessions outdoors in front of the cathedral, decked out in all these 
safety precautions. So hopefully where you are, there is something similar happening. Let's end off today by praying the contact for Sunday with the hopes that Mary teaches us true repentance and contrition for our sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Formerly laden with every kind of immorality, today, because of your repentance, you were made a bride of Christ, longing for citizenship with angels, crushing demons by the cross as your weapon. And so, glorious Mary, you became a bride of heaven. Amen. Thank you very much for listening. This has been your dose of Agios. Saint Mary of Egypt, pray to God.